0: Dark night of the podcast, fans and patrons, and all of you who may have stumbled upon us uh, at random this week, I do need to apologize here and just precursor this episode by stating that unfortunately, the title of choice, the title that we selected, will not be the subject of today's review. I apologize, Lover's Lane. I had procured a VHS copy of it through my good friend, Zach. um, And through my own uh, misfortune, after hours of attempting to secure a VHS player, a VCR, I I did. I got one. And I brought a TV up, a flight of stairs, and I managed to get myself all set up to watch this fucking movie. And then the movie starts playing. And about three seconds into the... Opening trailers, it starts making noises and goes black, and it completely destroyed the tape. So now I owe my friend a fucking tape, and I haven't seen Lover's Lane, Troy. I'm
1: fucking pissed. Oh, well, Anna Ferris is sad. I'm
0: sure, and I'm sad.
1: Sad. Sad. We guys, we wanted to kick off February with a Valentine's theme, uh, and Lover's Lane was my pick. I own the DVD. I just assumed that it was readily available on streaming because it was on Tubi a couple months ago, swear to God it was, and it's gone and you can't rent it on streaming, any streaming network. However, Roger excitedly called me and said, I got this VHS tape. I got it. So I was all excited. I watched my Lover's Lane DVD, made all my notes, watched Lover's Lane again. And I was like, this is going to be a fucking blast to talk about, especially to kick off February. Well, Unfortunately, like Roger said, it just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't in the stars.
0: No, there will be no loving on our lover's lane tonight.
1: <laughs> no, he messaged me about nine o'clock last night and said, Hey, guess what? Can't watch it. So we made this decision hey, do we want to just skip this week and just post a Patreon episode? But you know what, folks? We said, no, hell no. Hell no, we're professionals. We love our fans. We are not doing that to them. We are giving them a fresh new show.
0: We're putting ourselves through the additional stress of watching an entirely different movie. And,
1: And we were like, we had all these great ideas for these other Valentine's themed flicks. But guess what? None of them we came up with were available for streaming.
0: No, but you know what was available on Tubi as we scrolled through an array of selections?
1: You tell them, Troy. The next best thing. <laughs> 2001 maniacs. Because what does it scream love and Valentine's Day? Then Robert Englund and Lynch Shea as homicidal maniacs.
0: Oh my god. their, yes. lo- their love is so pure. Oh, I love these two together. Honestly, it's more romantic than anything else I can fucking think of. Uh, these two are a, a fucking horror power couple, and really, they're the reason this fucking movie works. And I will say, well, I do think Robert Englund does um, get a significant, like a significant amount of screen time in this film. God, I wish Shea had just like ten more minutes.
1: Lynchay is a national fucking treasure she is great in everything she does she, even if it's a small role she gives it her all i love this woman to death uh, her performance in insidious is exceptional her performance in dead end which roger maybe next christmas we will be covering dead end because it is a christmas thing she is amazing in that film i love this woman and she brings so much like joy to this role and you just you can't help but watch her even though she's maniacal uh, and kind of her descent into uh, into madness throughout the film is is really interesting to watch because it's like a switch. She can turn it on and off at any time. But yeah, we chose this film because, uh, just because, I was like, oh my God, 2001 Maniacs, Robin, let's do this one <laughs> instead of Lover's Lane. And so here we are, folks. We I, I watched we it. Okay, it hasn't even, Roger, it literally has not even been 24 hours since you messaged me. And we chose this film, and I've already watched it three times.
0: You know, it's same, but thank God, I at least I in Cleveland, I got a fucking snow day. I got snowed in. Our jobs
1: were. I didn't get a snow day. I just (laughs) I watched it last night, right right after I hung up the phone with you. I watched it this morning, and I watched it when I got home from work. So I am all ready to talk about 2001 Maniacs, folks. This is the the 2005 film that is a remake of sorts of the 2000 what was it, the, the the 1964 uh, film I believe it's 64 it could be a year or two off don't come at me I think it's 64 2000 maniacs directed by Gore guru Her, Herschel what's his name Herschel Gordon
0: you're I, you're fucking losing me on this I don't know <laughs> I don't know who the fuck oh did he
1: did it. he did blood feast Ah oh, yes, why am? I, wow. why is his name escaping me? See, I was so concerned about watching this film, <laughs> this, this one that I totally blew off the original. But I, I assure you that
0: Troy will know every fucking line. It's down It's Herschel
1: Gordon Lewis.
0: Oh, Herschel Gordon Lewis, and Iconic. he directed
1: 2000, and, 2000 Maniacs in ni- I was right, nineteen sixty four. But this is a remake of that film. The, the I've seen the sixty four version. It's very similar to this film not as graphic obviously the effects in 64 were not as uh you know advanced as they are now or in 2005 uh but yeah if you guys if you haven't seen this film and you're going to watch it I guess we do want to uh, give a little I don't I'm not going to say warning but little precursor if you've never seen this film and you you know may have issues with with some things involving race because this film very much is at, at its heart, Roger. What am I trying to say? the The theme of this film definitely has racial undertones that fly underneath it. Right.
0: One of the main things that make the antagonists so despicable is that because they're kind of preserved in this olden way of thinking, um, they they let their racist and prejudiced. Uh, thoughts and opinions just you know just flow they, they, they don't try to censor any of it they don't know in any other way and I mean while I think they could have you know nowadays I'm sure they would have tried to have danced around it if you're gonna present this kind of a villain one of the things that makes them so unappealing and appalling is their very dated way of thinking so it is going to be offensive for some oh, yeah. viewers I'm sure oh, yeah
1: well, and then then you have the Confederate flag imagery that is plastered throughout the film. So if that's something that you find problematic, again, this may not be the the film for you if you're going to have an issue with that because it is prominent. In fact, you know, Robert England's character wears an eye patch that has a Confederate flag on it. But it does it, it's part of the film. I mean, these these the whole concept of the film is this back this this town is 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 stuck in pre-Civil War mentality. Um, And as you come to find out, there's a lot of other things going on, but I don't think the film... At any point, tries to paint this as a good thing. I mean, look at the title of the film. The title of the film is 2001 Maniacs, and this refers to the people that live in the town. So it's not like this film is like being like, oh, look at these folks. They're doing the right thing. No, 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 no. Not at all. But just, I'm just telling you, the stuff is in your face. So if you've not seen the movie, and I know it's just, it's so interesting because the film is what, 15, 17 years old now. And it just, I was, I was a little bit like, taken aback at all of the Confederate flags throughout the film. I'm like, shit, and, but that's how far we've progressed in the last 17 years to realize that the symbol probably isn't the the best thing to be flaunting anymore because of what, because of the history of it. So me, me watching this film now, even I was like, Jesus Christ, this Confederate flags are everywhere. I mean, there's, uh, uh, uh. so I'm saying if you have an issue with that, if you find that problematic, just know that it is heavily, uh displayed in the film. We just wanted to put that out there.
0: Yeah. And I will say also one thing to acknowledge with that is well, you know, while there's been quite a lot of advancements in the last 15 plus years, um, I, I do feel that this film very much wanted to create a contrast between these simple minded folks from yesteryear. Because I mean they're spirits of people is is what it is. Like these are people from that era who think that way and they very much acknowledge that the people driving through the town are yankees are not of the same mentality are not cut from the same cloth and the you know the heroes of the movie are diverse there's several of color there is a chinese woman there is a a, a black man and there is a gay character um, and none of these characters are at all portrayed in negative light. It's the way that the townspeople interact with them to really just show how dated and backwards these people are. Uh, there is a lot of racism, and I, but I, like I said, I don't think they could have done it any other way. If you're going to delve into this kind of plot with these kinds of characters, you got to either go full out or don't fucking bother doing it. You know, yeah,
1: I mean, basically, you have a town that is. Uh, s- yeah, Roger. It's it's spirits, but they are very upset that they that they lost the Civil War. And if you know your history, the South, what they what they stood for during the Civil War, obviously, you can't sugarcoat that. So this film doesn't try to do that. And and I I don't find anything personally offensive about this film. Now, I just I, again I, I was struck because you don't see that that the Confederate flag imagery anymore, like that in your face. That's it was just kind of like shocking. I wasn't like offended by it because I know the purpose of the film. But we should uh we should get into it, right? So if you haven't seen the film, you know, watch it before this review because we are going to do a lot of spoilers and I think this is a this is a film. It's not a, you know, it's not a film with a lot of twists and turns, but it is a film that I think would be better going into it not knowing anything about it and just watching it and having a good time with it because you know it, it's 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 definitely a popcorn flick and we don't want to spoil anything for you so give it a watch if you haven't watched it and then come back and finish the episode right so 2001 maniacs yay no anna Ferris, but close we do. enough close enough <laughs> especially in the opening scene we get peter stamari Oh, so yeah. there you go, uh, but the the film opens with very stylish credits yes. that are imposed over images of the Civil War. So right away you know kind of the theme of the film. I am always a sucker for a good stylish opening credit sequence, and this one I have to say I would I would give an A minus two. Very well done.
0: Yeah, the audio, the sound effects play a big factor in it. And I've got to say that for being completely uh, constructed out of like old Civil War stock photos, you know, just none of these are like recreated images. They're just using photos that I am assuming are straight out of the the Civil War era. Um, They still manage to tell a very vivid story with like real accurate photos. Uh, You basically see the progression of the war taking place and the fact that, the you know, the South does eventually fall. Uh, and it's layered over with a lot of big flourishes and guns going off and explosions. It is quite flashy. Um, and it does really kind of start you off on that early 2000s note that we love so much.
1: Oh, yeah. And as the credits kind of fade, we hear Mr. Peter Stomari giving a lecture about the Civil War uh, and how the Civil War, how very few people nowadays realize that the Civil War was the, in fact, the deadliest war in terms of casualties for Americans in history. Um, And there's a slideshow playing, and we just get kind of random shots of different students. Some are bored, some are sleeping, some are really into it and you get cutie Nelson. Oh, I love Nelson. He is adorable, right? Oh my gosh. I remember, you know, watching this again, I I saw this when it first came out in 2005. I I rented it and I remember being like totally like oogling over this Nelson character. I thought he was the cutest thing ever and he still is. So there you go. Um, but as he's playing the, as he's working the slideshow, he is, um, also superimposing photos of students, sneaking photos of students in, in various sh- party going shenanigans like they're thrown up. There's a girl with her top up showing her tits and all the students. Every time a picture comes up behind the, the professor, they just start laughing. And he turns around and sees a picture and he thinks they're laughing at like the fashion uh, of the time or whatever until the projector gets stuck <laughs> On a picture of who we find out is Corey throwing up all over these girls' tits.
0: Oh yeah, it's pretty disgusting. It's like a photo in like the midst of in the midst of the vomiting action. It's it's pretty stomach churning, and it's a f- a great way to start the movie off. <laughs> Though I gotta say, this overall tone of the scene is very like it, it's a great device. Having this little lecture sequence is a great device to introduce you to the leading the three leading focal characters uh because it makes them very likable right off the bat it's very relatable it's funny this film is not serious it does not take itself seriously whatsoever um and uh, you get that right away the way they handle this opening it makes these characters very endearing
1: and that's a good point the film does not take itself too seriously at all the bell rings and the professor keeps the three after class he makes them stay after even though this is college, it's kind of weird that there's bells and stuff in college. But we'll, we'll get past that. Uh, he starts yelling at them about how they are basically disrespectful. And he gives them back their term papers and says, these term papers are trash. Uh, and he tells them that they have to redo their term papers or they're going to be expelled. And he makes them do the day they come back from spring break. Wah, wah, wah. However, this plot point goes nowhere because these term papers are never mentioned again. Right. They don't <laughs> seem to give a fuck because it's no. used
0: as like a segue sequence. He's like, the party's over. And it cuts to them in the midst of driving, like cheery, like, woo! It's uh, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, he, he has no other purpose other than being in the single scene. Uh, which he's fine as the professor, but we never revisit him again. Because after this, we are on the road. We're on our way to fucking Florida.
1: We are on our road to Daytona in a convertible with uh, Anderson, Henderson Lee, the blonde Corey, and of course Nelson in the back seat. They're driving through the countryside in, in a, a, a yellow, yellow tank.
0: tank. Oh yeah, at all fucking
1: tit. Uh, Ooh, they're driving through man. the countryside, just shooting the shit, talking about you know what they're going to do when they get to Daytona, and all of a sudden they hit an armadillo, and it explodes all over their windshield, and it flies into the back seat, and, and, and Nelson catches it. Um, they slam on the brakes, and we get a we get a lovely cameo from the one and only Eli Roth.
0: Oh, my gosh. He's playing the same character he played in As he did, Cabin Fever. Cabin
1: Fever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, isn't that clever? Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, he comes up with this dog, and he's like, oh, my God, you hit my armadillo. He's like, I'll forgive you guys if you give me a ride. And um, they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, get in. So he starts to get his stuff, and they do that old joke where they like basically drive away. As he's about ready to get into the car. Which I didn't really feel bad for him. I felt bad for the poor dog. Dr. Mambo. Yeah, I wanted the dog to get a ride. Yeah, that
0: poor dog. That dog did not look like like it wanted to be hanging out with Eli Roth anymore. Um, But, I mean, and that's a brief cameo. That's all we get. And that's fine. I don't need any more Eli Roth. Um, Though I will say I loved him in films like *Inglorious Bastards. I prefer him behind the camera, Uh, but it was a nice little cameo.
1: Well, yeah, he was actually one of the producers of this film. Obviously, uh, that makes sense. And also, do you know who else was a producer of the film that I noticed in the opening credits? Who? Scott Spiegel, who we, Roger, you might not know the name right off the top of your head, but we know and love him from... One of our previous episodes that we loved the movie, we we raved about it, Intruder, the grocery store slasher. He directed that. Oh, wow. Well, look at him. And now he came back to produce 2001 Maniacs. I could see that. They both have a light sense of humor to them. Yeah. yeah. They they pull over to the gas station where we get another cameo by Travis Tritt, who is apparently a pretty or he was a pretty well-known country singer in the 90s i i could not tell you one travis tritt song but he plays a creepy gas station attendant pretty effectively
0: yeah he does a fine job i was anticipating him to be around a little bit longer there's a flashback moment coming up or like a dream sequence moment coming up that he's involved in and i was really expecting him to be like in on everything but this is his lone moment
1: it's his lone moment he hears the guys talking about what they're going to do when they get to to daytona and what time they're going to do it they're like we're gonna you know be in bed with the ladies by five and he's he's cleaning their winch and he's like yeah and you're going to be pushing daisies by midnight they make yeah they make him really ominous Yeah, But then, yeah, it goes again. It's another thing that really goes nowhere. He's never brought up again. It's not like he's being, you know, most of these types of films where you get like a group of friends that take a wrong turn and end up in a, you know, a horrible situation. A lot of times they have this character that actually points them in that direction, right? Like a, a gas station attendant, a a police officer, whoever that tells them to take the wrong turn to, to to get them lured to wherever they're going. That's kind of what I thought was was going on here, but it's not at all. It's not at all. He's just a creepy guy that likes to tell people that they're going to be pushing up daisies by midnight. Well, and then we get that unique, bold choice to do a like a little like guitar,
0: banjo transitional moment where the guys start like having a little hoedown with like one of the the local Yocums who's got himself a banjo and they all start like dancing and like, you know, having this little moment and it's, it's weird. It almost feels like something out of a movie, more like a Euro trip or something. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like one of these like cross country road trip films, but again, it does make for these characters to feel like their friendship. They do a really nice job of establishing these boys as like a trio um, and you you enjoy them. They're having fun together. I believe that these actors are having fun with each other. So I like these little moments. It definitely makes them seem more of a, a connected group of friends.
1: Yeah, I thought it was just like a throwback to Deliverance. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the dueling banjo scene in Deliverance, that's kind of what I got from from this particular scene. And there's also a very similar scene in cabin fever as well yes, yes there um, is yeah yeah so as they're dancing a convertible another convertible pulls up and has some girls in it and lovely ricky
0: oh ricky the straightest gay man i've ever seen in
1: a movie yeah, well you know what hey this film if nothing else has some eye candy in it
0: i'll say that and you know what? i give him credit for trying he may definitely be a straight male actor playing a gay role but you know what they don't shy away from the gay. He is blatantly gay. They reference it well, multiple times. Ooh,
1: yes, but we will. I have I have a bone to pick with that, Roger. As we get <laughs> uh, I'm sure you do, Troy. I, I love it when you're picking bones. <laughs> I got to say real quick,
0: th- this whole trio that pulls up, I like, I like all of them. But is it just me or is Joey's voice blatantly dubbed over?
1: Okay, I... I okay, <sighs> That's a good point because she does not sound the same at this point in the movie as she does at the end of the movie.
0: Well, no, she just sounds very – like her voice sounds very disconnected from the rest of the audio.
1: Yeah. You could be right. Maybe they had to do some ADR in it. But I felt like to me, of all the characters in the film, she is like the least interesting character. Oh, by
0: far. Well, she like has no – I mean she's only there to be like lusted after, but she doesn't have – any other no. plot other than just being kind of like the object of the one character's interest
1: we, yeah, we'll get there because she they they yeah she's she's acting even Miss pussycat has more I like Miss pussycat <laughs> but she's yeah, but this Joey's acting all seductive and Corey goes over to ask for her um, you know, where they're going and they're hey hey, they're heading to Daytona. he's like, hey, we should hook up, you know, we should all hook up and she's like, hey, maybe. You got a phone number? That's what Kat says as she's kissing on Ricky, and he's like, "Yeah." Do you have paper and pen? And Joey's like, "I don't need paper and pen." And she lifts up her stomach, and I'm like, <laughs> "Who yeah, does it's, this?" It's so out of character. Like how her character is introduced right now as kind of this flirtatious hussy. It's not her character throughout the rest of the film, so it's like very disjointed. It's like they wrote two different characters and maybe like one of the, the actors that p- was playing the second one, like dropped out. So they just had to combine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it definitely, it feels that way for sure. It, what it really feels like is like, as the film progressed, the actress was like, listen, I don't mind playing a bit of a dit, but I cannot keep this up. Like this is unrealistic because she has lines. Here's a couple of her lines. First scene who needs paper. And then she, uh, then she gets, her stomach exposed to take down the phone number. Like it's like a, it's like a belly tattoo across her gut. So it's, and it's a permanent marker. So it's on her for days. What's your name, cowboy. And whenever you're finished, you can come up for air. After he's done signing her stomach, she seductively tells him to come up for air. This dame, she, I mean, she first impression, first scene, she's reading like a loose moral hussy, but the rest of the film Aside from her very, very uh, strange decision in crop top apparel, because every <laughs> every top she's wearing is cut off at the midriff. Other than that, she's actually like not really that dumb or that sexy or anything. She's just this first scene. She's so promiscuous. Yeah,
1: it's very odd. Anderson writes his number on her stomach, and she's like, "He's like, okay, we'll see you later." And she's like, "Maybe if I call." <laughs> what's your name maybe i'll tell you <laughs> like she's, yeah
0: she's such a tease
1: <laughs> yeah so the guys head out and it's nelson's turn to drive um and as they drive off we get another final shot of travis tritt saying pushing up daisies, by pushing up daisies by midnight and then just laughing hysterically that's it he's very maniacal for no real reason as we come to learn he's not
0: he's not part of this alternate universe we're about to brigadoon our way into uh but he he does come back in this brief flashback moment because um nelson is driving he pulls over the boys are sleeping he goes to get something from the trunk when he opens the trunk you have the goddamn gas station attendant appear and beat him in the face with a crowbar and then nelson like wakes up like he pulled over the car to take a nap because they were driving for so long it really feels to me like What's the singer's name again? What's this gentleman's name?
1: <laughs> Travis Tritt.
0: I feel like they're like, hey, Travis Tritt, we're making a Southern-based horror movie. We want you in it. And he was like, hell yeah, I'd love to be in a horror movie, but you better let me kill one of them. And they're like, okay, guys, right in a way for Travis Tritt to kill somebody without in any way influencing the plot. Cause like he like beats his face and he falls back, <laughs> his skull erupts like a like a bag of jello, and then he wakes up from the dream. So it has no
1: influence on anything. No, he pops out of the trunk like a goddamn jack in the box.
0: looking right in the camera, like ah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, whatever. It's a nice little bit of gore. I'll take it. Uh, and the, as they're driving, the boys eventually come up on a detour sign that is like haphazardly. Constructed across the like the, the the road or the highway, I'm assuming. I don't know if they're taking some backwoods paths or what have you, but it forces them to go off into this detour. And I'm sorry, but this detour does not in any way look reliable. Whatsoever. No, it's
1: a dirt narrow dirt road with trees base growing out of it that they have to maneuver around. Uh, come on, are these guys really that stupid? Would you really be that stupid? I will say
0: that the cast in this, while they are fun and they're enjoyable and I have a good time with them, they make a lot of like the age-old like poor choices that you do not want people to make in these movies. They make all of them. Everybody's just letting you down as a viewer. You're really wanting more from these people, but they just make bad decisions
1: left and right, starting with going down that goddamn fucking detour. They go down the detour. You see this old, rusty a uh, iron sign that says Pleasant Valley. And as they pull in, it looks at first like it's an abandoned town, right? There's all these, it's just, it's, it's empty. Not a soul in sight. All these old houses, old buildings, and even what's his name says, God, it looks like a ghost town. And as they pull into like the main part of the town in the center of the town and they stop, all of a sudden out of nowhere, the whole fucking town folk come out, just, they pour out of nowhere in song and dance. It's,
0: it's like, it is like Munchkin Land. It comes out of fucking nowhere. And I will say, say what we want about these racist Southern people, but this Guts and Glory Jubilee, sign me up. I mean, like, I know they don't want my kind there being a homosexual <laughs> and all, but I, the food, the spreads, Alone, I mean the music. You got these two men on banjo at all times. They're basically providing like a goddamn like narrative. Like they're always in the side. Like um, what is it like when you have like in Shakespeare, there are people who are like always like (laughs) at the side performing and the chorus. Yeah, there's like a Greek chorus. They're almost like a Greek chorus because their songs often are like um, kind of in the vein of moments happening within the film. I love them. Oh yeah, I love these two fuckers. And they just, I mean. There are some rough-looking folk in this crowd. There's a man with a baby arm. Do you notice this man? They cut to him a couple times. He's got a, a an arm that's not fully developed. It's like
1: a little arm, and he's just cheering, happy to be there. There are some homely... Folk in this town, and we're going to get to one of them here real quick. But oh, I know. But called. as as we, you know, what I'm talking about Miss uh, <laughs> oh, <Ms>. Honey <laughs> Peaches. Peaches. Oh, okay Miss Miss Peaches. Miss No, no. Her name
0: is is her name is Miss Honey, but she asks about the peaches and the cream. Right? You're talking about Miss no, her Honey. Name's Isn't peaches. Miss Honey? It's peaches. Is her name peaches? <laughs> is it? Miss, her, is her name Peach? peaches? <laughs> is her name really yes. peaches? I uh, maybe someone called her honey at one
1: point because I j- I have okay. here in large font miss honey <laughs> Roger peaches honey she's the homeliest looking woman I've seen in my entire life and they oh my, not only that they gave they intentionally gave her like a Madonna uh, gap tooth like god damn this woman's rough to look and at. they they put her in like a a bra like she's supposed to be all sexy and these co- these college oh guys are all about her I'm like oh Well, you know how
0: fucking college straight college boys are. They'll fuck anything, including Miss Goddamn Peaches, which we're going to stick with Peaches. I trust you on this. But, Troy, I can't avoid – I knew we were going – we're going to beeline for Peaches right off the bat because this woman, like, who in the casting table was was sitting there looking at their options and saying, and as for the town hussy, I say we go with this chain-smoking elder like this woman <laughs> this woman looks weathered and worn and it actually probably works for peaches but she is supposed to be like an, a vision of seduction in this town and i'm sorry gay or straight i ain't buying it this woman is <laughs> rough
1: oh poor peaches <laughs> oh she had it coming come on look at she me. has that line though where she comes out and she's like Buh. she's sucking on a lollipop. Yes. We noticed that. Did we just have a movie where someone was sucking on life? What, can we not escape people sucking I on life?
0: I mean, I like it. It's kind of sensual. But this is,
1: but no, this is a big old, this is a big lollipop. Yeah. It's not like a sucker, it's one of those huge. And she's licking and slobbering all over, and she comes out. She's like, hi, boys. If I supply the peaches, can you boy supply the cream? It is. And they're like. S- <gasps> they are
0: all, they're slobbering
1: over her. They are just. They're They com- they are literally coming in their pants. The ones like, we're staying now. I'm like, this homely broad is going to get you to stay? I'm, you know what? I'll say Ooh. this.
0: A majority of the people in this town are tough to look at. But there are a few in this town who do Ooh. not look at all of the era. I'm speaking about Hester and fucking Glendora. They're coming oh, with their highlights and their layered hair. Like these girls look <laughs> like they just wandered in off of like a like a party of five set and they're like, quick, get the costume. <laughs> like the the casting choices within this town baffling. Confusing. But you know,
1: I think they I mean Roger. They needed 2,001 people, even though it never looked. like Oh my God! People, you, but, uh, uh,
0: but, you are right. You said Miss. You did say Miss Peaches. It is right. I have that note here.
1: But you know what's funny is I don't know. We'll, we're going to get there. But there's some of the some of these scenes where they have like all the town folks around. I don't know if you do this, but I sometimes I just sit there and I'll pay attention to like the, the extras. Oh my god! And these people have no fucking idea what they're doing. No, they're but just, it is like they got they got Big Bertha from the come and go down the street. Hey, can you take off take a fifteen minutes off your cashier duty and come and put this dress on and be an extra? And she just sitting there. They
0: got anyone <laughs> they could get off the streets to fill this set, but it actually adds to it. I gotta say, like one thing about the movie, sure, the extras don't know what they're doing, but they look dead-eyed and confused and it just it <laughs> they, adds. because they
1: are yeah it adds because they it. are i don't think they were given any direction they literally went through this town and like pick people out of restaurants be, okay, come, this come movie for, had, a half hour
0: this film has some of the best extras i've ever fucking seen in my life there's one point where they're walking down the street and they look over and a man just vomits on himself like black like black tar for no reason whatsoever that some of the homeliest extras I've ever seen in a movie ever and I've seen Midsummer. so I mean these are some ugly looking people and Miss Peaches it is her name I stand corrected Miss Peaches what were you
1: calling her honey Miss Honey (laughs) I
0: think I think I was so eager to write about her that because I think someone said the term honey and I just heard it and I wrote it down but then I do have her reference here Miss Peaches god damn it I sound sound like I wasn't paying attention
1: oh you know you were transfixed by her beauty so I and and her gap tooth and it's not a real gap
0: tooth like you can see at certain points in the film that she's like smiling and it's like a piece of black stuck between her teeth <laughs> why did they do that she already looks rough <laughs> she didn't know. need any any additional like just dist- you know uh, adjustments to her <laughs> unpleasant face but here we are with Miss Peaches we do get it.
1: we we do also get introduced to Mr. Mayor Buckman who is Robert England. yes Wearing his Confederate eye patch and all, uh, he welcomes him to their town. Welcomes him to their to their what is it? Glory, Guts and glory, jamboree, jubilee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he takes a, a an immediate liking or an immediate attraction to Anderson, probably because Anderson looks out of the three of them looks like he would be southern right the well that
0: and lee, his right? name is anderson lee Anderson, it's a very well, yeah, very he, yeah. he
1: go he asks him what's your name he's like anderson lee and he's like oh a southern gentleman eh and um he's like you guys are gonna be the guest of honor at our jamboree um at the same time the car of full of girls and ricky so joey cat kitty cat or pussy cat what the fuck her name is her name ricky, is cat
0: but they call her miss pussy cat <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> they show up. So they, 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 not only did the three college idiots fall for this childish looking detour sign, so did Ricky and his two girls because they pull up right behind. Followed
0: immediately by another gaggle of people. We have a, a motorcycle with a couple on it, and it's, um, it is revealed to be Leah and her boyfriend, Malcolm. And Malcolm is black Leah is Chinese and immediately the townspeople go silent there's a whole moment where like you could see Malcolm like looks around and he's like oh shit and um th- this is the first point in the in the film where one of the characters the mayor makes a comment about their you know their ethnicity he does he straight up makes a comment about Malcolm and he calls Leah a China woman <laughs> And it's like
1: he calls her a China man and she's she corrects him she's like it's China woman
0: yeah and and he's like and what a woman she is like and they seem to be okay with it but i mean they do bring up this commentary scattered throughout the film from this point moving forward
1: yeah there's a lot of little there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of racist language used throughout the film from the from mainly the mayor robert england's character there there's a couple other things that are pretty uncomfortable but he's the one that generally uses all of the, the the racist terms or makes the racist jabs at them he tells them that granny has rooms waiting for them at the hotel and roger this is very much like the wizard of oz because all of a sudden the townsfolk start playing horns they're dancing around serenading all the all these people as they're walking to the hotel and these people are i'm sorry and normally
0: i'm the one falling for these shenanigans These people are far too okay with just being swept right up from their vehicles and taken to a random hotel without any real explanation.
1: Exactly. Uh, I, there is a little moment where Anderson asks Joey, he's like, Hey, what are you guys going to do? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, Hey, I'll make a deal. If you guys stay, we'll stay. And she's like, okay, we're up for anything. So yeah, they're, they're staying at this random town in the middle of nowhere. They go to the hotel uh, we do get introduced to Hester and Glendora, who you just mentioned earlier. Oh, man, two As queens. Tori and Nelson are going to the rooms, Nelson asks them if they smoke weed. They have no idea what he's talking about. No idea.
0: It, and he does make a comment. He's like, "You, you two are lucky because you're hot." Basically, being because you're fucking idiots. Like he, he it is, it's it's kind of sexist. Sometimes these boys read a little bit of piggish, which does make it more palatable when they do meet their demise. But these two girls, they really like. They look. They look very 2005. There is nothing at all, in my mind, Civil War about these dames down to their lip liner. I mean, it is just a strange choice, but I'll roll with it. Like, I mean, these girls are fun. They get a few moments coming up that really steal the show, this Esther and fucking Glendora. And then, so we got Malcolm and Leah get taken to their room. And this fucking, this racist bellhop enters given his best Adam Sandler impersonation, he's got like this real specific Southern sound of his voice when he talks. It's really like, like it sounds like he sounds like Adam Sandler. Uh, I ends up being one of the, um, the sons of the mayor uh, as we learn eventually. But again, the dialogue kind of goes right to racist. Um, Malcolm asks where, where do the black people hang out here? And (laughs) The bellhop says, normally from that tree, off yonder. I mean, like, they make a lynching joke. It's pretty aggressive. But I do like that both Malcolm and Leah, as two of the minorities in the film, very much, like, stand their ground. They are not phased by this guy. You can tell, like, these two are like, this is fucking nonsense. So I like these characters, um, especially Malcolm. And I like that they are written in a way that makes them very, like, if anyone wants to get the fuck out of this town, it's these two.
1: Yeah, I, I, I really like the character of Malcolm Leah. I mean, she doesn't really have a lot to do throughout the film. Right. Um, but I mean she's she's tolerable. He does also make a he also does make a joke when um the bellhop says, Granny got you Granny got you some fresh sheets. And he's like, Oh, so you guys aren't wearing those anymore? <laughs> so there's all these little like racial jabs that go back and forth. Um, but yeah, so he after making that joke, the bell t- the bell uh hop's like, you guys don't be late for dinner because Granny don't like tardiness. And Malcolm does his Granny impression. He's like, well, God forbid we upset Granny. Uh, and so the bellhop leaves leaves them into their room. And then we see Anderson, Corey, and Nelson are at the gazebo with um some of the towns girls, including Peaches and Glendora and Hester. And we do get this image that is thrown throughout the film of this dude chasing a goat with his pants half down. Oh my god! This this
0: man who's fucking the sheep. Like, and he speaks of the sheep. Like, the, the more the movie goes on, he like has like an established relationship with the sheep. Her name is Jezebel. Um, she wears a hat at one point. It is blatantly put in our face that this man is fucking the sheep. Uh, and he is the other son of the mayor. The mayor has. I think altogether he has three because I believe the other character that's introduced is also his son. Um, But, yeah, so he has these three sons, two of which are kind of like complete fucking morons. Uh, I'm assuming from being inbred or something because here they are fucking sheep. But then there is a third son that we are introduced to. Uh, He is also from uh, Cabin Fever, is he not? Is he, he the cop? from cabin fever yeah i think so yeah yeah yeah. you're right yep and i mean listen so he's portrayed as being like the capable son and the attractive son and like they basically like the mayor sends him out to do his dirty work he's like they won't be able to resist him and like i get it until this guy like speaks or smiles and this man's teeth like listen i'm not trying to be an asshole and these are redneck rural southern people from the 1800s my expectation shouldn't be so high um but this man's teeth are atrocious there's like this man's teeth are so bad
1: are you talking talking about about fucking harper Harper. yes okay okay we're get there okay so uh, there is a scene yeah, with the mayor, he's scolding his, his two sons for letting, basically letting Malcolm and Leah in the town. He's like, why'd you let those two in? And the goat, the sheep fucker is like, I have my eyes on one of the girls, the one with the long legs going up to her woohoo. And the mayor's like, no, 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 now you leave her to Harper because she won't have a chance when he stands, when he walks up on her. And then we get the slow motion of Harper walk it exactly this is what i'm saying they make
0: him seem like he's so desirable yeah
1: giuseppe andrews yeah he was in he was in cabin fever he as he's walking the two guys are playing the banjo music those the two chorus guys that you're talking about are playing a song where they're they're singing there's like trouble came and knocking trouble came and knocking as harper goes up to see ricky and the girls in their room and Cat takes an immediate liking to him. So does Ricky, actually, because Ricky's like, hey, I'll wrestle him for you.
0: Oh, yeah. Right off the bat.
1: Or I'll wrestle these, you for him. Yeah.
0: These these two are smitten with this guy. And I, I, I don't see how they see past the teeth. Maybe I'm just a teeth guy. I don't know. But the, the teeth are there. They're okay with it. He immediately manages to, like, lure Miss Pussycat, because he calls her Miss Pussycat. But he lures Cat away. He's like, come, let me show you the town. Let me show you around. And she's all swept up in it. And um, and the gay is a little jealous.
1: He is jealous because he wanted some of the Harper Alexander for himself. But before she leaves, he does give her, Ricky does give her his dog tag and said, here's my good luck tag. Keep it with you. I'm assuming maybe... Uh, I don't know what this gesture is for, except a plot device later on. I don't know.
0: Ricky's an interesting character, Troy, because like he's played overtly gay and like, they don't shy away from it, but they play him as very masculine. And the whole thing with the dog tags, I guess I'm almost to assume that he's like former military and I wouldn't be shocked because they put him in a lot of very fitted clothing, but it's all like military uh, kind of color palettes and everything just with like mesh incorporated. (laughs) It's very weird. Well,
1: I like I like you know I like the character it is really cool that they have a character that is so like openly open about his bisexuality his attraction to men um as we find out here in a minute there he's very blatant about it. However, I don't know because of kind of how things go down here in a few minutes in the film I don't know like if the filmmakers if that was like a conscious choice on their part to make him like not be, just to be like this normal, like, I don't want to say normal acting guy, but you know what I mean? Not be a, not be flamboyant, uh, you know, or if it was, I I don't know if that was a choice they consciously made. I think that they didn't even necessarily think about it. In fact, I think they were probably trying to avoid the character being,
0: I think this is what we're seeing here is honestly um, a lot of influence of the era. I'm going to use another movie from the same year as an example. Cause this is, this is when we were really starting to see queer characters start to make an impression in mainstream cinema or movies that weren't just really focused around queer topics, you know, like breaking out of the indie and into the mainstream. Uh, Look at the movie Venom. Remember in the movie Venom, there was a secondary character who was gay. He had gay ish tendencies gay elements to who he was I think he was also platinum blonde like I think that was how you depicted a gay it was the same same as like cruel intentions if he's got bleach blonde hair he's gay but um this character I think that there was still a paranoia of having the gay character who is overtly gay out, out of fear of how they'll read and so I wouldn't be shocked if they intentionally
1: toned him down that's what I'm saying. And and, and, and well, it will become, uh, I can't wait to get there because I have a lot of things, to say, but it, it becomes apparent that that's the case. I think that they're like, oh no, we can't have this character be too gay because it'll maybe turn off our audience. We can have him say gay stuff, but he's going to say it very manly and be very manly. We'll get there. We're getting there. Trust me, I have a lot to say. We are finally, in, as, as, Cat and Ricky go off together. We are finally introduced into Miss Boone, played by Lynn Shay, as she brings out lemonade for the guys. And she is, she's so charming. And Anderson is very charming to her. He goes and kisses her hand and tells her it's a pleasure to meet her. She's very, you know, dolled up in her big fancy Southern dress and her pigtails. And we get introduced to another character that becomes pretty prominent through the film named Hucklebilly.
0: <laughs> fucking huckleberry
1: <laughs> chasing a cat
0: well, we got two things here first of all Troy I think in my humble homosexual opinion as someone who genuinely does love the horror genre Lin Shay I think we can all agree that Lynn Shay as you said is is a, at this point a landmark of the genre she is uh, one of those top tier scream queens with a huge resume behind her I do feel that Lin Shay as Granny is a specific character that needs to be celebrated more. I think that while Robert England kind of steals the thunder because he's a little bit bigger, he's a little bit lar- more larger than life than she is, she, out of all the characters in this town, I'd say that for the most part, she has a few moments where she breaks this, but a lot of times she channels a lot more of the, like the nuance and like, her dialogue comes off very natural where there are characters in this film that I wouldn't necessarily say I buy them within this universe. I completely buy it when she's on camera, you know, she completely becomes this role. She's phenomenal. And as the movie progresses and she starts to really let her hair down, it gets really fucking fun. But some of these early scenes, she like is very grounded. And even though she's doing this big Southern act, She's still. She's given it the linchpin of it all. She's so good at what she does. She's such a pro at the craft that she just really excels no matter what when she's on camera.
1: Oh yeah, it's. A, she's a very dynamic character in this film. It's. It's very good. I mean, she's great. She's great. And then, like I said, Hucklebilly. <sighs> Troy, is how is it just me or does Hucklebilly
0: have the voice of a woman? <laughs> uh, yeah. Is he dubbed by a? Is Hucklebilly... Is he dubbed by a woman or is like, do they octave pitch no, him? I don't something? know.
1: I think it's a, probably a very specific voice that the actor came up with. But he, yeah, his voice is pretty damn grating, if you ask me. The character, how do you feel about the characters? Do you feel like the character is annoying? Do you feel like the character is charming? Because I can see both sides to it.
0: Oh my God. Everything about him. <laughs> <laughs> no I don't think there's anything charming about him he's fucking obnoxious Hucklebilly has a voice of a like of a 14 year old woman like a girl he sounds like a girl I'm convinced he's dubbed by a woman or they did something to octave change his voice in editing but he is supposed to be a child but like he's played by a man who I'm assuming is probably like 18 to 21 uh does it I don't buy that he is a child he's too tall. He, he seems like somebody... He seems like a simpleton. A lot of people in this give me, like, heavy of mice and men vibes. Like, you know, real slow, not fully developed. There's that man with the small arm who I think perfectly sums up the people of this town. But Hucklebilly, I, I don't want to, like, get down on anybody or anything or say that this person ruined the movie for me. But I feel that when Hucklebilly's on camera...
1: I find it more difficult to watch. This I got film. it. I got it. Huckle Billy. It becomes problematic that they act like he's a little kid because he looks older than all of the three. Got the main three college guys put together and they're, they're even treating him like a little kid. So we get Harper and cat are, are walking and he's definitely throwing on his Southern charm with her. He's telling her, He takes her to the spot where his daddy proposed to his mama and he's, he's telling her this. She's taking his cock out. Like literally she she unbuttons his pants and takes, I mean, we, we don't see it, but she that's exactly what she's doing. She's reaching in there. He's talking about something. He's like, Oh, this is where the sun comes up. And she's like, Oh, it feels like something else is getting up too. I'm like this.
0: They're standing up like in the middle of daylight. It looks like they're standing against a cemetery wall or something. I don't know. Like they're in the middle of- The town. The town. And she's giving him a handjob. But she's just straight up manhandling. Yeah, she's handling that dick. At one point, he calls her Miss Miss Pussycat. And she says, please just call me Cat. Miss Pussycat sounds so formal. This girl is a simple woman. This girl wants to get right to fucking this guy- real quick real quick her standards are low i just don't think she's ever had a man speak kindly to her before and so she's real quick to just get her hands in them pants uh so he's like like come on i'm gonna sweep you off your feet let's go fucking make out
1: the guys are chasing the cat now with hucklebilly and anderson actually catches it and gives it to him and they they He's like, "You guys want to come play with me?" And they're like, "No, we got some g- girls to uh, to go attend to." And he's like, "Ah, fuddy duddy," and he, like walks away. And they're like, "Oh, little guy, don't be, don't be sad." I'm like, "This kid is older than you, like seriously." And, and they go over to him, and Anderson goes over to comfort him, and he's holding the cat. And this cat does not want to be in this man's
0: hands. It's a real cat, and it looks miserable.
1: <laughs> it looks miserable. And I, hell if I was this cat and no one was about ready to happen, I'd look miserable too. We do get a quick cut back to Harper and Kat are actually now in the barn laying in the hay making out. She's like, oh yeah, you're going to reel me in the hay, aren't you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get kinky. So he puts a blindfold on her and she's like, Whoo, you're a kinky one, aren't you?
0: Well, one thing worth acknowledging at this point, Troy, is while they're in the midst of their intimacy, Harper does pull out cat's butt cheek and a top cat's butt cheek is what I I'm and I got bad tattoos but this tattoo is the trashiest thing I have ever seen on on a person ever. I don't know if first of all I doubt this girl really has this tattoo but oh my god please let this be a real tattoo because it is so fucking trashy. It's like a unicorn in mid-leap. It looks like it was hand drawn by a child on her ass. And it's just like a black outline of like, it's like, it's kind of like horse-like, but it doesn't really look well done. And Harper sees this and he's like, well, i see you like horses. And that's like what gets them to go to the a horse barn for this torrid sexual moment that's about to unfold. Uh, when this does take place, I have to say, I would never let anybody lay me down in that hay. You know, there is horse shit all up in that hay. I can't, I mean, I can't fucking imagine how dare you even assume that I would want to lay down and make out in that shit riddled hay.
1: And another thing I'm not, I, I'm not kinky at all. Just, I'm very vanilla. I'm not letting anybody put a blindfold on me. I do not trust that man. I don't trust that man. No, I don't trust. Well, I, I don't want a blindfold on me, period. I don't want anybody. I'm not letting anybody tie my hand. I'm not. No. No. Uh, The minute he started putting that blindfold on me, I don't care who I'd be like, sorry, dude. No, we're not doing that. No. And guess what? That's why I would live. No, I probably wouldn't. I'd be I'd be skewered later in the film. Ugh. I don't like being restrained either, I got to say. I'll give you credit. Like I don't like being tied down. I don't uh, want to be tied down. I don't want a blindfold. I I can't get into that. I don't I just, no. No, it's for some we've people. We've seen this happen too many times before, Troy. This is one thing like you and I both know. I think we've seen too many movies where I'm like, nope, I'm going to something's going to happen and I'm going to be what happens to poor Cat here. Um so the cat back now to Huckle Billy and the three guys go to him and tell him, hey, you know what? We'll play the game with you. What game do you want to play? And he's like, turns around. He has a noose. He's like, I want to play hang the kitty. I'm going to lynch it. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yes.
0: This is when he's holding the cat by the neck.
1: Yeah. And it's like a real cat. He's like, they're like, oh my God, no. What would your mama think? He's like, my mama gives me a silver dollar for every broke neck pussy I bring home. Like, okay, I don't know why I'm randomly going into Southern accents in and out of this episode. I
0: Because everybody in this film has a fucking Southern accent.
1: It's going to be good practice
0: for my upcoming role. Oh, I can't wait to talk about this. <laughs> but um, so they're now revealing that Kat is laying on her back in the middle of this barn.
1: How did he
0: get? I don't know. She must be really Well that's one of my because things not only, I was gonna say. I mean
1: Yeah, because not only did she let him blindfold her, did she not feel him like tying her so limbs?
0: Cat gets unblindfolded to realize that she is now tied down all four limbs are tied to rope and each rope is connected to a horse at a different corner of this barn. She basically is like supported in the the air because she's so taut. They pulled her so taut, and so this this actress, God lover, her, I don't know if she really had the capacity within her to sh- to portray exactly how much fear and I don't know, just pure terror that I would experience if I found myself bound to horses. In the middle of a barn. Uh, I mean, she really, she's just more like, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea. Like she seems uncertain. She seems, she's given off like discomfort, but this girl does not seem anywhere near scared enough. All things considered.
1: She treats it like it's a minor inconvenience. And she clearly sees that she is tied to horses and there is a man on each horse ready to go. And she's like, oh, honey, this isn't really what I had in mind. And he's like, I know you think, our, he's like, I know you think us Southern men or boys are innocent, but we're not as innocent as you think. And then he like cracks the whip to get the horses to go. And they basically draw in quarter. They, they, they go and they rip her limbs off.
0: It's a pretty gnarly scene.
1: It is. You get shots of like her rim, her limbs actually tearing away from her body and like her horses going down as they're dragging her legs and arms. And then you get a overhead shot of her, limbless body just squirting blood as he's sitting there laughing maniacally at it it's
0: the makeup in this film is good it's good the The effects are good but it still do, it does reflect that it's a smaller budget across the board you can tell they pushed the budget as far as we go regarding the costuming the locations the gore but it is still a smaller budget and there are times that some of these effects look really great, and there are times that they look like an effect. There's a torso effect here where, like you know, you see her after the arms and legs have been ripped off, and like the face does not look human. Uh, it, it looks, it looks like very like I don't know. It looks like it's made out of paper mache. But then there's other times that the make the gore effects are phenomenal. So I'm not going to really slam on this. But um at the end of the day it's a it's a great moment. It's one of the standout kills in the film and um it is really really graphic. It ends with a a chicken
1: leg being ripped off of a chicken yeah, as as the group is eating dinner that night. Granny leads them in a prayer. Anderson is just the ever charming dude because he leads them in a toast to honor Granny and their hospitality. They do they do mention the fact that cats. It's probably not going to be to dinner because Harper has swept her off her feet. Ricky responds. Oh, that lucky bitch, which causes granny to throw a roll at him. And she's like, I won't tolerate swearing at this table. You
0: don't fuck with granny.
1: No. And he's like, God, just one, just once I was, she was the one eating sloppy seconds. And he takes a bite of the, the meat that he's eating. And we see him, we see it's We see the same tattoo that was on, Cat's back.
0: Yeah. So I basically, I, I love this little her. moment. He's eating her ass. He's <laughs> eating her ass. Yes. I mean, what gay man doesn't like eating ass? It's my question. Well, not that ass, but no, right. <laughs> <laughs> not especially with an ass with that tattoo. Ooh, that's not a very very fresh ass, in my opinion. This is followed up by <laughs> a little a little saga dance number. Between Granny and, uh, and the, two, the two blonde sisters, and I got to say, Troy, that you and I will be recreating this number on our Patreon in the, in the coming months. And those dresses, just they're just shimmying and shaking. It's not really even choreography. They're just kind of like flaunting around. It's,
1: it's strange, but cute and endearing. And we, get, uh, we also get introduced to the milk maiden, the, the girl with the huge boobs that carries around a milk jugs everywhere she goes because she offers Corey and Nelson some milk.
0: May I offer you some fresh milk for your pie? I'll keep my jugs handy. Like, it's so over... It's so, like, in-your-face, the dialogue, which I find enjoyable. This milkmaiden, she is a... a hussy. I mean, the dames in this town, they're whores. They've all gotta have fucking... I don't know. What STDs were in? What, what's the one... What is the one... Is it... They've all got syphilis. Every...
1: Goddamn woman in this town's got syphilis. I bet you anything. Well, I mean, I what? Well, I mean, come on. If you are a woman in this town and you got to see, you either got to pick from the town folk or these hot young college boys that are in your town. Yeah, or, or else you're I mean, banging
0: that guy with, with the small arm. <laughs> uh,
1: this is when Anderson goes out on the porch, and now we get Joey basically as a completely different character. Now this is she's this is the point where this character is not the same character that we've been introduced to, right? Cause she's sitting on the porch, he brings her some flowers and she accepts and then they kiss and there's no, you know, I mean, I understand this film is a large, this film is like a kind of an ensemble piece, right? So you don't really have a lot of time to spend with the characters because there's so many of them, but there is no like
0: romance buildup. up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or chemistry. These two don't even have the chemistry together.
0: They're just at the same location together, and they're like, five. The, yeah,
1: but, but now all of a sudden they're kissing, and they are an item. There's nothing leading up to it. Nelson does interrupt looking for Miss Milk Jugs. And then, of course, she gets mad. She's like, well, call me when you're done with your little friend. Uh, and then Corey comes down. They have some shots of Moonshine. Ricky, Leah, and Malcolm are inside playing cards.
0: I like these three together. You got the three minorities hanging out, and there's one point where Ricky makes the comment: "The only difference, the only difference between a frat boy and a gay boy is a six pack of beer." And Malcolm just loves it. He's like, "Ha ha, you're right!" Like he's like cackling along. So I like that they put these three together because they are the three that I think these townsfolk would fucking target the most.
1: Yeah, and in the barn at the same time, Mayor is telling the guys that Lester. Has to cornhole the sissy boy, and it's funny because Rufus is like, "I'll do it, Daddy." Unless <laughs> the and, and the mayor is like, "That ain't something to get excited about." I love that moment. I yeah, thought that was funny. pretty hilarious. It is funny. And inside, um, we cut back to now Lester, not Lester Rufus, who is the the nicest looking of of the three brothers, uh, and Ricky are arm wrestling. And basically, the the thing is, whoever wins gets to be the top that night. And Ricky wins.
0: The dialogue is very like not holding any punches. Like it is openly discussing gay anal sex. Um, and everyone's the thing is, everyone within the group. And this is one area where I'll say that for all of its shortcomings dealing with some of the matter, the subject matter and racial tensions that it touches on for the sake of the villainy the the protagonists this you know reasonably large group of friends and the different you know vehicles that arrive and so forth nobody seems to have an issue with anybody I think that the protagonists are actually pretty progressive in in certain aspects of how they're written especially for this being a horror comedy because there are times and I think that they probably did this as well Troy on purpose to really make these villains it's make it clear like the things these villains are saying what they're doing it's not for it's not right i mean they're fucking racist and it's very like much not evolved like it's very dated because when you get these scenes of the family members together like the mayor and his sons you get almost into like a slapsticky kind of humor it feels like you're watching an episode of like um oh my god uh, like laughing or something you know like the humor is very over it's in your face you got the one redneck brother fucking a sheep who's wearing a pink hat Uh, who's like outwardly his lover. You've got the other one who is just like kind of dumb and fucking stupid. Like these are not evolved people. They're stuck in a dated mentality. And so they write them to be very much like caricatures, you know, very much caricatures. There's a lot of humor in those moments. A lot of times the scenes between the friends, between like the protagonists are a lot more grounded and likable and relatable, um, which I think is mainly to make it clear that the villains are wrong in all senses of the word, you know?
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And that's why I find the film, like I said, I don't really find the film offensive, even though there's offensive imagery and obviously offensive language used throughout the film. I don't find it to be an offensive film as a whole. I think it's doing exactly what it it's knows exactly what it's doing. And it is painting the villains as the villains. These aren't supposed to be, people you're rooting for. And you don't, you know, because I think for the most part that the, our main protagonist cast are a, a very likable group of people that you don't want to see anything happen to. And there's a couple of the uh, characters when they get killed, I actually feel really bad uh, for them because I liked the characters. Uh, so basically everyone is pairing off. Uh, Ricky takes Rufus up to his bedroom to, to, he's going to get some ass. And then, you know, Leah and Malcolm go to their room. What's his name? Anderson leaves with Joey because there's a scene of them making out in front of the fireplace. Corey leaves with the two girls, Glendora and Hester. So basically Nelson is the only one left without a date.
0: How? Because he's so much cuter than everybody else. It's mind boggling.
1: I know. He's the cuter, the, he's the cutest one. And we get a montage of the couples all like having sex. They're kissing, being kinky. It's literally just a sex montage. Yeah, you get Anderson and Joey kissing and she takes her top off. Hester and Glendor making out while Corey watches and they're taking their tops off. So he gets lots of boobs. The only thing I, and this is what I was kind of hinting at. The only, this is kind of where it loses me with like the gay Like we're trying to say that they're portraying the gay character positively because they the montage of the two gay guys in this scene, instead of it being something passionate like we're getting with the other ones, it's played as a joke. Like he's undressing in his long underwear. He's doing pushups as Ricky cheers him on. Uh, There's no like nudity there's no like them taking their shit off together and embracing it's it's all played very like oh look how funny this is these two guys are preparing to have sex and they have to do push-ups and you know cheer them on to do push-ups for them i just felt like it was very it was obviously blatant that they did not want to go there with the the gay sex scene
0: yeah it's played very safe. It's, it's not played even played very
1: safe, very safe Roger. Like I, told, I said it's played as a joke. And that's yeah. right. Well, that's where I,
0: But then you look at the other like couples, Troy, you look at like the motorcycle couple and there's this whole thing with him in like a fishnet shirt. Like it's almost gayer than anything the gay people do. Yeah, you but know? you
1: still get them, you still get her taking her top off and getting on top of them and, and getting on top of them and kissing him and being passionate. Like every other couple, we get a scene of of them interacting, being physical with each other, except the gay couple. They, do, they don't they do do anything, you know?
0: Yeah, it does stick out. I'll say that. It sticks out like a kind of, I don't want to say like a sore thumb, but it's noticeable. I mean,
1: that's, but- that's when I thought, okay, yeah, these filmmakers didn't want to go
0: there. They... But again, it's 2005, and like, and not to like use that as as a crutch, but I mean, at this point, introducing queer characters into films like this was still relatively taboo. If you think of how far our our media has come in the last 20 years, I mean, imagine a show like Euphoria or something delving into the queer issues like that. being. Yeah, but then. you,
1: but by by 2005, Roger, you you had had hell bent. The gay theme slasher Hellbent had been out, and that that's very blatant with with sexual um, content.
0: But that was geared towards that specific audience. Mm,
1: I mean, it was very much at, at the time, though, advertised as a slasher flick. It wasn't advertised as a gay theme slasher flick. In fact, many people didn't even realize it was a gay theme slasher flick until they run oh it. God, So shirt. many
0: straight people must have been so pissed. I know, off.
1: right? But I'm just saying, like, I don't want to. I don't think you know. I mean, what year did Brokeback Mountain come out?
0: Yeah. No, I hear you. I listen, I get it. And I think, I mean, but, look but the- you think
1: about it, but you think about the people, the guys who made this film, it's a bunch of bros that made that, that made the, I'm not, and I'm not saying that in a negative light at all, but it makes sense knowing who made the film, Eli Roth, Scott Spiegel, the director. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but it's a bunch of bros that got together and made this film. And I can see why they, they, they shied away from it. Um, I just wish they wouldn't have because they did such a great job Kind of portraying this character, this gay bisexual character throughout the film, and how it wasn't an issue with anybody else, any of the other characters, but then they kind of do this huge cop out yeah. during the scene where it really could have made the most difference yeah. to the gay to a gay audience that was watching the film, and even to a straight audience to have to sit there watch it and accept it. Right, I think it was a huge missed opportunity.
0: I hear that. I, I I hear it for sure. I guess I'm I'm seeing part of it from the glass half full. The fact they included a gay character who's a pretty prominent character and they never made him a like a subject of mockery i mean the way he does end up meaning his demise is very queer but overall he's a he's a positive character he's a likable character but then i also see what you're saying like they could have taken it a step further but you're right like the, the crew behind this i mean eli roth god love him but he's got he's notorious for using like kind of anti-gay slang and like, Oh yeah. hostile yeah. uh, The
1: whole, ho- that's a big, that's a big issue with hostile now is that that does have a lot of homophobic undertones to it. I do got to say though, minus my big issue there, they kind of, then they cut to a scene that is very like <laughs> erotic with Nelson. We get to see his bare ass. Oh my God. He's full Thank on
0: dry humping this pillow. And like With his ba- bare, bare ass. ass, it is Ugh. it is hot, man.
1: It's hot. Oh, it is hot. I, it is. It's yeah, I, yeah. Oh yeah. And as he's doing, he's just going to town on his bare ass. He he can th- he actually has a pretty good thrust game too. I'm like, ooh.
0: Daddy. oh, feeling that, feeling that for days.
1: Yeah. Um. The as he's going to town, the milk maiden is out is outside his window calling his name. She's like Nelson. Now, so he goes to the window and sees her. She's down there with her, with a, um, her bottle and a, a tube. And she's like, you gonna invite me up. He's like, hell yeah. I've been thinking about you all day. So he turns to the window. She, she gets upstairs awful quickly. That's another thing. Like these people, like she's up there and he's like, oh, you got up here fast. She's oh, I know. And she starts taking her, um, clothes off. There is a shot. I got to say of him standing there. No shirt. You see f- his, you see his f- f- full pubes, and almost like you can almost see the top of his dick. I'm like, come on, go down a little bit lower. I mean, you get full pubes, his nice little shaved and trib pubes, and everything.
0: You get like the pelvis line all the way down. Like, yeah, it's it is a it is a tease. It's a hot fucking scene, and he's cute. He's definitely the, the cutest of the guys. So I mean, I'm happy they gave us gays some eye candy. What transpires here is. <clears throat> It is unexpected. I'm going to say that. I really thought Nelson was in a way stepping up to be one of like the leads in the sense of like, I thought he could be potentially the final guy. So the way this plays out, is a, it's a bit um, surprising. This milkmaiden, I mean, she is not the best actress, but I got to give her props for just, she is invested in the craft. She takes out her her knockers. And I mean you see the full you see, like around the areola there is the like the plastic surgery the scars because these things are so fucking big. These these breasts are not. There's no way a woman from that era would have ever been able to procure this surgery to have breasts this ample. But this woman has just these huge fucking jugs. Fitting. I mean she's the milkmaiden. so her boobs flop out she gets all up on him she's riding on him and grinding on him and she's got this this vat of you know milk or what she claims to be actually uh moonshine and she's got a tube and she basically wants to do like a beer bong to him she's like she's like you've got to drink my moonshine I brought for you um it's one of this proves to be in my opinion one of the more awkward scenes in the film. It's not that the payoff isn't really enjoyable. It's not that it's creative. I mean, it is creative. Listen, it's 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 interesting the way they play it out. But I think it might just be something to do with the way it's edited because uh, it has quite a, an array of effects that take place. Uh, it's a fun scene. But this whole sequence, in my opinion, feels kind of strangely clunky.
1: It is very, it is edited very weird. You're right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's gross. And I, I, this is one of the death scenes that I am. I was kind of disturbed about because I liked Nelson. Um, and I wanted him to live and he, this is a pretty disturbing death. This would actually hurt like fuck getting acid shoved down your throat. But yeah, it's like it show it's like cutting between like the bottom of the bed dripping blood and then him gurgling. And then all of a sudden, like the, a big hole in the bed, like drops out and you see like some of his guts fall out. And then, but then you get this weird scene of him like laying there and they're showing the inside. I mean, it's, I guess it's a, it's a a good effect. I mean, I think it could have been executed a little bit more effectively. I'll say like the final
0: reveal of his body with his organs, like sizzling and melting and everything are, that's pretty, pretty impressive in my, in my mind. Um, it's just like the, the, yeah, the way it kind of builds up to everything happening and they keep cutting to her like kind of riding on him and grinding on him as it seems like a cutaway because they had to like kind of cut back and forth between the effects it just makes it feel very choppy but it gets it gets points for creativity and personality like i said this this gal is so into the moment i mean she can't act her way out of a paper bag but god she wants it so i give her credit i like the scene i really do
1: yeah well that's that's the end of little nelson He's such a cute. The next morning, the two guys are outside the hotel singing, The South will rise again. The South will rise. The South will rise again. And Hucklebilly is out there dancing like a fucking idiot. Everyone comes out to leave, and we do get a a again, a basically a very blatant uh, conversation about how Ricky topped Mount Mal- uh Rufus. Oh yeah. They're they're pretty straightforward about it. And Rufus is none too thrilled. Oh no, he's not. He's not. And Malcolm comes out and the mayor ch- comes, the whole town folks are out there. And Malcolm says something about, I can't wait for your little jamborini Spits on the ground. And this is when the mayor chides him. Oh yeah. The mayor is not pleased. And then they they are finally starting to ask, you know, where Cat and Nelson are, especially Cat. Ricky's like asks Harper, "What did you do with Cat?" Harper's like, "No, that Nelson boy, he stole her right from me." And they just buy it. Like they just okay. Uh-uh. A granny comes out and she announces, "It's time for the guys to go with the guys and the girls to go with the girls." And we do now get a shot of inside a different cabin where two guys are preparing Kat and Nelson's bodies for dinner. And the one of them takes their decapitated heads and go sets them on the counter. He says something about, Oh, I always say two heads are better than one.
0: Oh, there's lots of witty little jokes about this kind of shit. There's a fake head reveal here. Uh, it's Nelson's head. And you get like a full through the torso kind of shot. Cause the, he has the whole burn through his torso from that acid. So it goes through his torso and shows the guy, like, walk around. It's actually a really fun sequence. A lot of these fake heads are just a pinch. Like, the, it's, it's, it's the valley of disbelief. You know, it's, it's just there's something off about them, but they really give it their all. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. Some of them are better than others. But they really go
1: all out with the gore, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I do like the the gore scene. The gore the gore looks pretty effective inside this cabin. The, the the severed heads, sometimes they look really realistic, other times not so much. But for the most part the gore is pretty spot on. And I give the I give the film props for actually trying to be gory, right?
0: Oh yeah. They go all out. I mean, there is a shit ton of gore in this movie. It may not always hit as well as you want it to, but the fact that they put such a volume of gore in this, like you can tell that they really were trying to give the audience the full experience.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so Malcolm Anderson and Ricky are kind of walking and they come upon Harper who asks them if they know how to play horseshoes. Uh, and so there's this whole conversation about how horseshoes is actually a, you know, a, a game that was invented by the military, blah, blah, blah. This is what Harper's telling them as he sharpened in a horseshoe and he actually cuts, uh, Ricky's hand with one of the horseshoes. It's kind of ominous. I'd be, I'd be pissed. The girls are being given baths in these tubs. You know, they're getting this whole spa treatment. I guess a, a pre-Civil War spa treatment outside in a wooden bathtub. Very luxurious, uh, and they're being rubbed. And Granny, Granny's telling them they're going to look beautiful for the for the jamboree. When all of a sudden, Hucklebilly pops out of one of the tubs. He's like, "Rub a dub dub! Who wants me in their tub?" This fucking child. I know. Like this
0: hairless, <laughs> just like he he looks like he's thirty two, but he has the body of somebody who I would picture would be sixteen years old. So it is very confusing. But he's just there naked in this fucking tub for who knows how long he's been hiding in this goddamn barrel. Miss Honey, or I'm sorry, Miss, Miss Peaches, excuse me, Miss Peaches, her gap tooth is on full display in this scene, by the way. And it is very obviously not a real gap tooth. You can see like the piece of black inserted in the middle of her teeth. It is so distracting to me.
1: I do like that granny tells Hucklebilly, she's like, put some pants on your little wee wee. (laughs) Oh, and he's all scorned. He's like, ah. (laughs) Corey has gone up the hill to some field with Hester and Glendora and is watching them make out. And they are just gleefully licking each other's tits and talking about, oh, you're my favorite first cousin.
0: Yeah. He's like, wait, you guys are cousins. Cool. Like he's all about it.
1: Yeah. He's like, he's all about it. And they're like, You just sit there and watch and be quiet. And as they're making out, he starts. He literally pulls his pants down and starts jerking off. And you get more bare tits until they notice him jerking off. And they're like, oh, my God, you are a pig. Go away. And he's like, but why? You told me I could watch. And the one's like,
0: but you weren't quiet. Because they told him he had to be quiet in order to watch them. They're such fucking
1: teases, that
0: Hester and Glendora.
1: Yeah. They are, they are, and they all, yeah, because they they invite. You realize they every time they they invite him to to have a little rendezvous, it's basically them two going at it, and they don't let him be involved at all.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess if your first cousin's that attractive, you just don't need anything else, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, and Corey, Corey is like not attractive at all. So He's I'm, the homeliest. Uh, of he the is group. the home. I, I was trying sorry not to go there, but he is he is the homeliest one. Nelson, top notch. Anderson. Pretty good looking. Corey, meh. Now the guys are back to the guys playing horseshoes. And Harper throws his and like nails it at the target at the end. And they're like, what are we throwing him at? And he's like, oh, it's a mink. Um, Mink heads or something that he says. Uh, Malcolm comes up, gives it his turn. He misses. Corey comes after being denied by Hester and Glendora. What's his name? Harper gives him the, gives him it and says, here, maybe you won't strike out with this. And he takes a drink of the beer and he throws it and he nails it, nails one of the targets at the end. So there is a scene where we see Harper walk down to retrieve the horseshoes and what they have been throwing them at are the severed heads of Kat and Nelson. I'm sorry, but to me, this seems
0: like a very obvious thing. I mean even when they say that they're like mink heads or whatever, I wouldn't buy that shit. These two things look like human severed heads from the back. The one has longer hair. like it's very obviously human heads
1: that they're throwing these things at but nobody seems to be is it maybe because they're drunk? Because they're all drinking that that beer. there's I endless beer at this place that they sure are guzzling. They get Leah all gussied up in this nice purple dress, right? And they're starting a hoedown. And they have her up on a stage. And Granny starts singing this song, clucking like a chicken. And the whole town's going wild. And they're square dancing until the words to the song start getting a little more ominous. Like there's a line that says, little China Dow, now ain't she sweet? I reckon she'll make a real good treat. And as the words get more ominous, more and more of these townspeople come. I love and, this. And to the, yeah, to the point where it's almost all now, there's this huge audience of town people watching. And even Ricky is there and he's like dancing and they're not really paying attention until uh, uh, Leah starts to notice like some of the words that Granny is singing. And all of a sudden, Granny like stops singing and looks over at her ominously and says, It's your maker now, bitch, that you'll have to face. And she cuts a rope and this large bell falls on poor Leah and crushes her.
0: It's such a weird kill. Like, I mean, the setup is really fun, but this bell comes out of fucking nowhere and it just, yeah, it just smashes her. You see her like arms and legs sticking out from underneath it. Not my favorite kill in the movie. But it does lead into a very brief moment in which Rick is kind of given like a brief chase sequence. Um, I found it kind of cool that the gay character also got to have kind of the standout moment where he's already made it way longer than a bunch of the other characters. So that alone, I'm impressed. But yeah, he gets this little chase. Uh, So that I would say makes this whole moment worth it. The bell crush didn't really do a lot for me.
1: It looks it looks really fake. Like this is one of the effects that does not look real because you do see the bell and you do see like her body under it, but you can totally tell it's like mannequin legs. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't look real. And Granny does say have the um have the line about well that China girl sure had a lot of guts. Oh yeah. And I'm like oh god, can we stop with these corny one liners?
0: Yeah, this film definitely does delve into that territory a lot. If you're not somebody who likes, I mean. It makes sense, honestly, that Robert England would get involved with this project because the commentary and the dialogue from the villains screams Freddy to me. You know, they've got a lot of personality. There's a lot of um, things to be said about what they're doing and why they're doing it. So, of course, this works for him very well. But if you don't like your horror with a heavy dosage of humor on top of it, I you may not be a fan of this film because they do start to really get crazy with the comedy
1: as it proceeds. Uh, as Ricky's running, the girl, these two girls are chasing him, and he he like trips, and Rufus all of a sudden appears and grabs him by the hand and says, "You need a hand," and yanks him away. Uh, in the meantime, Joey runs into Peaches, who she notices has Ricky's dog tag that he gave to Cat. Joey tells her why do you have that? And she's like, Oh, she gave it to me. And she's like, no, she didn't. She wouldn't give that to you. You need to give it back. Uh, cause we are leaving And peaches says, you're not leaving. And Joey says, yes, we are. And peaches gives her the dog tag back and looks at her as she's walking away. And she says, good luck. And this is like the very first time that we see that there is a, something supernatural because we do see like the veins and Peach's neck turn black.
0: Yeah, there's a supernatural element, but they really don't, like, delve into it a ton. Um, I mean, by the end of the movie, you know it's supernatural. But it's this whole, like, for example, the veins in, in Peach's face and everything, that's not something you get a ton of. You don't see that effect very often. This is like a one-off kind of situation. So, i I mean, I still can't tell you exactly what it is that's possessing this town other than their anger and rage towards Yankees. You get a little bit of an idea as the movie goes on, but yeah, this is definitely the first like blatantly supernatural, a factor moment that we see. Yeah,
1: this is, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, this is the moment when you think, okay, yeah, this is there's a supernatural.
0: And one thing I have to say regarding the character of Joey and, you know, whatever happened to Joey in the editing room, it really, this character, um, this character has moments and elements that could have proven to be a pretty strong female, but it really got lost in the final interpretation of the story. Um, whatever's going on with her dubbing is it is distracting and it is flat and it doesn't sound natural. It's literally every line of dialogue out of her mouth. And this character is just like inconsistent. Like here she stand, like she's totally willing to stand up to miss peaches. Like, you know, she has no qualms about it. There's another point later when the ca- when the heroes are making, like, a plan to escape and she, like, kind of takes charge of the situation. There's, like, moments and flickers of her being a really kind of strong female character, but for some reason it gets lost and it never really fully manifests.
1: No, because by the end of the film they just turn her into a babbling, helpless victim. Uh, so we are now back to uh, Ricky, who is... Rufus throws over a table, bends him over a a table and the mayor is like teasing him and being like, Oh, well, welcome back ladies. Ricky is like, your son loved it. He loved it. He, he was squealing like a pig talking about being fucked. Right. Um, and these two girls come up behind him with this large skewer and uh, ram it through his ass so hard that it comes out of his mouth. I mean, it's a bit, pretty much exactly what I anticipated
0: would have happened in a 2005 horror movie, including a gay character in this context.
1: I was just waiting for him to get something sharp up his ass. And he did. And he did. And he's like twitching. It's a pretty cool looking effect. I mean, um it takes him a while to die. <laughs> I don't know if it was the actor that couldn't hold the you know, hold the, the stillness needed because you could tell like th- they, they, they freeze on his face for a while because Lynn and Robert England are like making jokes. And she says something about looky it's Ricky on a sticky. And the whole time, if you're watching his face, like, I don't know if he's supposed to still be alive or if it's just like the actor could not like keep his eyes open without blinking or looking. Well, you could hear him still yeah, like, he, oh, yeah, ah, it's ah, pretty
0: like they added. It's the audio. pretty
1: gnarly. Yeah. Um, cool cool looking effect they drag him off uh the remaining survivors are now in the pub drinking beers while the townsfolks are giving them deathly stares this is when malcolm is like this place is fucked we need to get out of here you know these people are crazy i mean why are we here joey comes in at this point and this is a about she's like she slams down the dog tag and she's like yes this place is fucked you know she tells them that she got the dog tag from peaches and that something's not right and she thinks they should leave and anderson's like okay good plan but we all need to have each other's backs we need to like be safe about this we'll, we'll go run up the others carefully and we'll get up we'll get out of here but we got to act like we love it here Which is honestly fucking a smart plan
0: because they're surrounded by 2001 of these fucking crazy people. But the
1: problem is Peach's big mouth, her big gap tooth mouth, went and told the mayor that uh, Joey told her that she was leaving because guess who comes in the pub as they get up? The mayor. He's like, I heard you guys were leaving. And Granny is like, I really hope you... Don't make us question our hospitality towards you. And they're like, no, no, we're all good. And she's like, this is the most important day of the year for the townsfolk. And you will not upset them. This is like when Harper gets real vicious. He's like, you are going to stay here and you're going to celebrate. And he cuts his hand. I'm like, okay, this is about the time I would be like, yeah, I'm out of here.
0: Yeah, they basically escort them out back to the hotels. And they don't really give them an option of where to go. Because the streets are just lined with people glaring at them. I really like this sequence because, like, you literally just see all of the extras at their finest. Like, everybody is just giving it their all, crawling along railings, glaring. There's a, a man named Coffin Harry just literally building coffins along the side of the road. It's comedically foreboding. And Malcolm turns to everybody and he goes, all right, then I'll be seeing you all at the barbecue tonight. Like Really like, really like obvious, like we're getting the fuck out of here. But he's like smiling through it. It's actually a very funny moment. I like this whole
1: sequence. It is. And back at the pub, the mayor is proposing a toast to the crowd. And he's like, here's a toast. We are going to be avenged tonight and we will never go hungry again. And they do a cheer. They literally use a segment
0: of the speech from Gone with the Wind, which I thought was kind of yeah. hilarious. As as Malcolm is like kind of figuring out what to do, he's making a, making a, a making his way back to his hotel. He passes this child who is like oh, using this Jesus. contraption, and he's like, "Oh hi, how are you?" And the child like looks up for him, looks up at him as it like crushes this rat in this like contraption it's operating like showing that literally everybody in this town is just obsessed with death it's actually also rather gruesome and funny but uh joey and cory get back to their hotel and they notice that rufus is in the process of gathering all of their possessions and putting them into a cart and wheeling them away and so they develop a plan for Corey to go back into the hotel and find his cell phone because it's still in and, there. And in the
1: meantime, Anderson is wandering through the woods and comes upon the the cabin that serves as like where they where he knows that they were preparing meals and he sees Ricky in the window of the cabin. And as he's looking, all of a sudden, the Ricky kind of backs away. And Malcolm, now after he encountered that little girl, comes upon the two singing guys. And he, he walks up to him and he's like, they're like, they start singing him a song. And he's like, forget this. I don't even like crackers in my soup. He starts walking away.
0: They start fucking following him. And I love it.
1: Yeah, they they it's hilarious. They start following him. But yeah. before that, uh, Anderson goes into the cabin where he saw Ricky in the window looking around. It's I, I, I don't know, Roger, after being in this cabin, I certainly would not want to eat anything from this. Right jubilee event because this cabin is filthy. There's bugs everywhere, but he thinks what he sees is he thinks he sees blood under a tray and he walks kind of timidly to it and lifts it up. And it's just like strawberry and fruit juice leaking out. But the door behind him slowly opens and we see Ricky hanging from a meat hook. And just as Anderson's turning around, the two guys come out of the, room and shut the door. So he doesn't see it.
0: Yeah. I like how this played out. It it timed out really well. Yes.
1: I thought it was really cool. They tell him that it's rude to sneak around the kitchen before dinner. We don't care if you're the guest of honor or not. And Anderson's like, I'm sorry. I was just looking for my car. Do you know where the cars are parked? Because I wanted to get my best suit for dinner. I didn't want to show up to the dinner tonight looking like, you know, like anything but my best. And they're like, oh, yeah, the cars are parked down yonder by the barn. So he heads out there. The two guys are following Malcolm singing. <laughs> Basically narrating his entire journey. It's hilarious. Yeah, and he turns around. And he, he has had enough. He's like, shut up. Sick of this shit. <laughs> He's like, do you guys know? You guys better tell me right now where my woman is. And this is when they start singing my favorite song of all time. The boy wants his bitch. A boy wants his bitch. A sad, sad day. A boy without his bitch.
0: <laughs> Malcolm is very frustrated at this point, And he spots in the distance someone whom he thinks is Leah wearing her clothing. Uh, and she starts very sporadically running away. And so he chases after her. I personally don't think Malcolm at this point would be somebody who would be dumb enough to pursue somebody. From what I take away from this character. He's been very, um, he's been the voice of reason often throughout this whole thing. And I'm surprised that he falls for this.
1: Especially when it's obvious it's not her, right? This person is like running like the hunchback in Notre Dame. Like it is obvious, obvious it's not her. But he follows her. Joey, as she's waiting for Corey to come back, she starts looking. She's in this little cabin. She starts looking in the cabin and she sees all these jars Labeled with different years of the jamboree, and they're full of body parts. And as she's yeah, they're like pickles. Yeah, they're pickled eyeballs, intestines, fingers, all kinds of different things. And as she backs up to 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 scream, someone gra- comes out and grabs her. Corey's up in his room. He goes up in his room, and guess who's up there with his cell phone? I fucking Miss Peaches. Peaches in her little bra, and she's like, "You looking for this?" He's like, "Yeah." She's like, "Well, come and get it."
0: Miss Peach is sure confident in herself and her sexual wiles. I mean, she's rubbing this phone all over her cleavage and giggling and showing off her gap tooth. It's really very sexualizing. He wants nothing to do with her, he just wants that fucking phone. Until she
1: offers to blow him, right? Oh, yeah. Because she, she pulls his pants down and he's sitting in a chair. But he does
0: not necessarily seem
1: thrilled. He does no. He he has his phone. He's like looking. Someone's texting her, and she's like down there putting something in his mouth. He's like, "What are you doing, honey? Putting your retainer in?" She's like, "Something like that." And she looks up, and it's like these like metal sharp teeth. Yeah, it's like metal, like constructed fangs. It's pretty gnarly. And she proceeds to bite his dick off. Yeah, it's gross. Which is a very fitting death for him because he was basically the horniest character throughout the entire film. That's all I was looking for. So he yeah. kind of gets his comeuppance, but his penis is bitten off and she's just, she is having a blast doing it. Oh, she's thrilled. She's thrilled. Malcolm walks up to the shelter where he saw Leah hide and he goes up to get her. And all of a sudden it pops out and it's not Leah. Of course, it's a guy disguised as her and he's knocked out with a guitar.
0: Um, Malcolm wakes up. He's tied down in a bed of cotton which I thought was, you know, a very particular decision that they made. Um, And the mayor basically comes in and like kind of looms over him and taunts him. And he realizes that he is set up to a giant contraption that's about to weigh a giant boulder down on his chest and crush him to death. And so the mayor is there talking shit. and, um, And he does ask Malcolm, he says, do you have one final request before you die? And Malcolm does say, kiss my black ass. For one last little, getting his words in there right before he finally gets crushed. And when he gets crushed, his eyeballs pop out of his skull. And it's
1: pretty graphic.
0: It's, it's well done. I like this moment.
1: He spits in the mayor's face too. He spits in the face and says, kiss my black ass. And it is kind of a tense little death because he's just laying there and all he can do, he's tied down and all we can do and all he can do is watch this t- huge boulder get closer and closer and closer to him before it finally crushes them.
0: After it crushes him, the blood comes down this little like chute to start filling the townspeople's like they've got like pitchers there and they start collecting the blood
1: to drink it. It's disgusting. And the mayor does say no more last requests. Anderson, he's gone to look for the cars and he does find the cars. He does find all of their shit like his guitar shit has been broken. He does pull a sheet off and he reveals Malcolm's motorcycle and Hucklebilly shows up. And Hucklebilly's, I reckon you're trying to steal that man's bike. And Anderson's like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm just, you know, looking around. But hey, I'll tell you what, if you come with me, I'll play, you know, kill the kitty with you. And Hucklebilly gets really excited. He's like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, come on. Give me the keys. And Hucklebilly like goes to toss him the keys. But he's like, oh, here you go. And he throws them beyond Anderson to Glendora and Hester who are behind him. They catch the, the motorcycle. Keys.
0: These two bitches. They're always there looming.
1: They're always there looming. And then, and then what does Hucklebilly do? He's like, I bet you thought I was a stupid little boy. And he shoots him in the face with a slingshot. Knocks him right the fuck out. Leaving into the grand finale. The grand finale. Anderson wakes up that evening. He's tied to a table. Mayor and granny are there. Uh, Joey's tied to a chair at the end of the table. They are doing a little prayer that ends with thanks for being such tasty meat. Uh, and the mayor gleefully, gleefully reveals that the entrees for the evening that are, you know, covered by lids as he's pulling up each of these lids. It's the heads of all of these different characters complete with commentary, including For those of you who like dark meat, he lifts it up, and it's Malcolm's head.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a chock full of little one-liners, lots of little jokes, this whole finale. One thing I want to acknowledge, the townspeople, at this point, uh, they all have a very certain kind of look they've taken on. They all have a very zombie-like, dark pits around the eyes. Um, Whatever it is, this demonic force that they've taken on, um, it's its most present during the finale both through the makeup and then editing choices that they also make as well. Um, There's a lot of like quick cuts and loud noises and snarls and you know, you get a lot of this audio cues that really imply that there's something
1: more, something demonic going on with this town. The only one that really doesn't look, doesn't have that look at this point is the mayor. Um, even granny is looking, has that gaunt, like zombie look to her, but you're right. All the townspeople have this distinct zombie type look to them, except the mayor. But again, he shows them all the heads. He does make a comment about something that might surprise you about me is I like Chinese and he lifts it up and it's Leah's head. And he's like, but I'm still hungry afterwards. And he takes a bite of like her brain. It's like, Oh God. This big rock song
0: kind of flares up in the background. The South will rise. The South will rise.
1: And they're all they're all dancing and clapping. And this is when you get the extras that they pulled in from like the local, you know, quick shop and quick star to come in for fifteen minutes to clap their hands because some of these people do not look like they know what they're doing, what they're supposed to do. Mayor gets to Anderson and tells him, "I'm going to give you an option. You can live, but if you want to live, you have to gut the whore." Yes, gut the whore. And they're talking about Joey. And he pretends to think about it for a minute. And then he nods his head that he'll do it. And granny gives him the cleaver and says, it's just like killing a raccoon or a possum. So he goes over to her and she's freaking out, thinking that he's really going to do it. Uh, And he says something like, you can, you know what? You can take this. I don't know. I can't remember. You can take this jamboree and shove it up your ass. And he throws the, cleaver he aims it at the mayor but it actually hits i think rufus in the chest it does yeah
0: yeah one one little gripe i had with this is like what he does here seems so obvious if i was any of the townspeople i would be suspicious of this happening and it really happens exactly as you would expect it to there's no real element of surprise because it's played so like by the books like he gets up to her, he turns around, he makes his little speech and he throws his cleaver right into the one of them. And nobody reacts right away because it gives them time to get away or start running. Uh, and then, you know, as soon as like, he gets her untied, everybody jumps up and then they get into action yeah, but even this 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 whole
1: scene was awkward. Did you not think so?
0: That's what yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's timed out weird. like it's all timed out perfectly.
1: Yeah, I'm talking about like once they get uh, once he sets her free and they're trying to run away, this whole scene becomes really awkward because nobody seems to be able to catch them, even though they're like just standing in the, in one spot. You get a lot of like cl- camera close ups of like each of the different town people like reaching out and grabbing them, like granny coming at him with a cleaver. but nobody's catching them even though they're not running. It's just edited really weird,
0: yeah. oh, I mean, like it's it's cut. This is why I was saying with like the the demonic elements is they the actors, the extras are very much like playing into the camera. They're like snarling and growling. and it seems almost like they that they're using like their magic to prevent them from getting out any getting out of like this area that's a kind of like where everything is taking place. They can't get past certain people. They can't fight their way through. It has a very supernatural magical element to it that like, isn't exactly clearly shown. It's just implied through like awkward cuts and sound effects.
1: Yeah. It's very odd. They, he Anderson kicks over a fire pit, which starts a big fire. Uh, mayor finally pulls out the sword, his giant sword and says, they're mine now. And there is this, fight scene between Anderson and the mayor with a sword. Anderson is able to use a lid, one of the steel lids to the platters as a shield uh, and a torch. He lights a, a piece of wood on fire to fight the mayor off very quick. It's not a drawn out scene, but they go back and forth. He gets some punches in the mayor, gets some punches in the mayor knocks Anderson down on the ground and stabs And from the perspective of like us and the crowd, including Joey, it looks like he actually stabs him in the chest. But as we get the close up, we see that he missed and it's like right next to his torso. And as the mayor is raises the sword to hit him, Joey throws him Nelson's head to use as a shield. So there is this scene where the mayor brings the sword down and and Anderson's holding Nelson's head and the sword embeds itself into the head. Yeah, the fact that he used Nelson's head as a weapon, I was like, "Oh, poor Nelson! Give him a,
0: give him a break, my God!" Uh, but yeah, I, I I like this moment. It um, it's up against the background of like the blazing fire, and it looks very dramatic, and it's a it's a fun moment. It is brief; uh, it goes by pretty quick. But that's it, It's fine. It's fine for what it is, and it makes for kind of a nice climax for finally getting him to get the best of the mayor. Cause that's kind of like, you know, the focal and antagonist.
1: And all he, uh, all he had to do this whole time, all, all anybody had to do this whole time to get the best of the mayor was to rip his eye patch off
0: and reveal the horrible CGI effect in which maggots start pouring Ugh. out of his eye socket. It's really like one of the less great aspects of the yeah. film, but I see what they're trying to do it Was 2005. I'm not going to fucking get down on them too much for this low budget, but yeah, you get this really bad CGI eye socket effect. And eventually he gets the best of him. He gets the best of the mayor who offers to let them survive. He says, you know, basically he he pusses out. He offers to let them go on the motorcycle.
1: Well, he tells because Anderson threatens to stab him at his other eye with a, a, a barbecue fork. And the mayor's like, "No, please don't take my other eye. Please don't take my other eye." And he's like, oh, "I'll do it, motherfucker. You got to let us go. If you let us go, I'm not going to do it." And this is when the mayor does puss out, and he's like, "Yeah, fine. We're going to let you go." And he tells the townfolk, "Let him go," and they get on the motorcycle and are able to drive off. Yeah, they do this dramatic jump
0: through the fire <laughs> over one of oh, like God. the overturned like, carts. Yeah. It's so cheesy, but like, yeah, they go and and as they drive away, the uh, the mayor does say, "An eye for an eye."
1: He does. He does. They do, they do this smart thing and they go, they drive to a sheriff's station. The sheriff's in there playing or reading a book or a reading a comic and, um, Anderson busts in and surprises him. The, the sheriff's like, don't you do that, boy, you want to get shot? And they tell him, oh my God, all of our friends at Pleasant Valley were butchered. They're, they're They were, they were eating. There's can up crazy cannibals there. And the sheriff's like Pleasant Valley. Eh? They're like, yeah. He's like, okay, you guys need to come with me. I need to show you something. So they follow the sheriff back to Pleasant Valley, and we find out that it's a giant cemetery. And yeah, it's
0: nothing but a graveyard for the last hundred and fifty years. Yeah, and we
1: see all of the tombstones with the names of all of the different characters that we've met. Hucklebilly, Hester, Glendora. The, the sheriff is none too happy. He's like, You, 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 you Yankees are always come down here trying to, you know, cause problems. He's like, How do you think? These people would feel to know that you're, you know, desecrating on them. And he points to the bigger, one of the bigger tombstones in the cemetery. And it's actually a statue of mayor, the mayor with his eye patch and all.
0: Yeah, it's very dramatic. All the budget must have
1: gone to this. And they, yeah, Uh, (laughs) yeah, they must have because him and Joey go over to read the inscription. And basically what we find out is that this town of Pleasant Valley was the site of a massacre in the Civil War. The Northerners basically killed all 2001 residents of this town and burned it to the ground. The whole concept of the film is that they, these these 2001 townspeople, were going to be avenged. They were going to have their vengeance. So every year on April 21st. The date that this town was burnt to the ground, they come back to life and lure people into their town and have this ritual where they kill them and eat them. And it just so happens that what is today was April 21st. Well, and
0: that leaves me very torn because it sounds like something really horrible happened to all these townspeople. And, you know, I should feel bad for them. But then at the same time, they're awful racist people. (laughs) <laughs> and, and they're very offensive in a lot of the things they say and do. So like the sympathy is, uh, it's short lived. This s- sexy cop comes up and starts shaming the two of them for making a joke out of the whole thing. And then Joey makes the bold choice of attacking the cop. She just straight up, she bl- <laughs> she just attacks him. She starts hitting at him. And uh, he plainly admits that this has happened before. He's like, this is an ongoing trend. This happens all the time. People come through here saying things about ghouls and ghosts. It's all nonsense.
1: But obviously it's not. Before the the, the cop takes off, as they're reading this description, they hear his, his truck squeal off and they watch him go. So before Anderson and Joey take off, Anderson makes the point to spit on the statue of the mayor. And they get on their motorcycle and they're driving oh. down the road. And all of a sudden, we see a piece of wood and the motorcycle hits it and it comes to a stop. And we see that there has been a line of barbed wire stretched across the road. We get a lovely CGI effect of these two heads falling off. <laughs> Actually Anderson's head falls off and hits the ground. We see like the blood start to come out slowly from his mouth. It's very much like the opening of like ghost ship when that wire cut all the people that were dancing and you see like their bodies, you see the blood start to come out of the cuts and then the bodies start falling. Very much that whole thing with this, but Anderson's head falls off. Huckabilly comes walking up the road and he shoots Joey's head off with the slingshot goes, grabs the heads, picks them off the cement, starts walking down the street. Not before looking in the camera and saying, damn Yankees. And he carries the heads off. And as he's walking, he just disappears. Oh, yes.
0: Very, very mystical ending. Gone back to his magical graveyard home. I mean, I don't really know how he got there or did any of that to begin with. But it is what it is. He disappears. He fades away with the heads.
1: uh, And that's the end of the movie. Yeah, that's the end of the movie. And normally, you know, Roger, I generally don't like films where the like the good guys or the protagonist end up getting killed at the end of the film or not surviving. I don't like that. But for some reason, I mean, I liked Anderson, I guess, for I sort of I mean, he was a good character, but like I just didn't really care, honestly, like I didn't like I couldn't care less about Joey. So this ending really didn't strike a nerve with me as these types of endings typically do.
0: I think my issue is that, you know, we have spent the length of this film kind of to come to a conclusion. And the characters, not only do they get away, but like they go and seek out help and they come back after the fact to clarify what happened. And then after everything is said and done, the the evil that exists within this town, whatever this force is, still manages to take physical form and execute them as they're leaving. There's not really like a consistency with these the magic that exists here in Pleasant Valley or what it is or how it operates. It's all just for the sake of like entertainment value. But they're like, it really is not like a solid through story. I couldn't tell you what was what was operating within this village that gave them these powers or what they're like, what are the restrictions? What are the rules? How long are they able to take solid form? I don't fucking know. Um, but yeah, they die. I was kind of bummed. I was kind of bummed. Like, yeah, the characters aren't great, but still like, I, yeah, I hate it when you're left with
1: no survivors. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I I felt like for this film, it was sort of fitting. I mean, because the, the, the antagonists were supernatural, And generally there's no way you're going to escape a supernatural threat. So to me, it made a little bit more sense for it to have them die than it would if, if it was like a slasher film with like a a villain that they shot or something and then came back and and killed them at the end. I think this, I mean, the ending, I, I mean, this whole fucking movie, Roger is absurd. It's, it's just, it's ridiculously absurd, but it's highly entertaining. Uh, I have a blast watching this film. I, I find it, like I said, I find it extremely entertaining. It's so over the top. A lot of times the humor falls flat, but it's still just when it, I think when the humor hits, it hits, but there are times when it falls flat. I think for the most part, the characters are, are likable. Um, we do get diversity in the characters, which is great. So I, I, I don't mind this film. I I find it an enjoyable watch. Now there is a sequel doesn't have Robert Englund, but Lynn Shea returns. And it's, I think it's, uh, Bill Mosley who takes over as the mayor. However, the sequel is God awful. Like you would not even know that the same director made the sequel because it is horrible, horrible. Uh, so don't even bother with that. Uh, but this one, I, I, I like this film. I do. I I think it's fun.
0: Yeah, I like it. I wouldn't say I love it. I wouldn't strain to love territory. I'm not a big fan of the horror comedy. Uh, If you're going to do the comedy, I need something a little more. Not to go all scream after having seen it recently, but I need a little more meta. This is literally just like kind of gross bro humor.
1: It's it's lowbrow bro humor. Yes,
0: exactly. Um, Lots of tits. I'm okay with it. Like I, you know, it's 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 par for the chorus at this point. We've seen so many films that kind of follow a similar pattern. But yeah, I, I like this film. It's got a lot of personality. Um most of the protagonists are pretty likable, and a lot of the antagonists are also, even for their, you know, off-color commentary, very unique. There's a lot of bold personalities, even in the smaller characters. Fuck it, Miss Peaches. Like, where'd you get a Peaches in any other horror movie? I can't name one. And then the, 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 the two blonde cousins and everything, they all have like um, really fun, unique personalities. They don't get a ton of screen time to develop them, but like the whole town is intriguing. You don't get a lot of movies that give you this kind of experience. So I enjoy it for what it is. It's definitely not one of my favorites, but I, I like it a lot.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't say I love the film. I do like it. It's, it's one that I can see watching again in the future, just because of its entertainment value. You just put it on and sit back and it's kind of just like this brainless popcorn flick that you don't have to really invest a lot of thought into. Again, we, 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 you know, it's, it is what it is. It's of its time and it's, it's a fun little flick. So yeah, I'm glad we got to watch it, even though it's no lover's lane. It was still a, a fun watch, a fun discussion. I think very fun discussion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: I had a great time.
1: Yeah, as always. As always. Oh, so that is 2001 Maniacs. We just want to remind you that if you enjoy our episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write us a little review. Uh, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can get access to exclusive full-length bonus episodes each month. We just released one, uh, the end of January over the 1990 film, Lisa starring, uh, Cheryl Ladd and Stacy Keenan. So you could get access to that. We, we have like, I think eight now full length feature episodes up. So, and more to come. Uh, so why don't we real quick wrap up and tell the audience what our next review is going to be?
0: Well, I know there's not going to be any issue of this next one because, uh, I got it on DVD. And I also know I can stream it, so I am not concerned. But let me tell you, I've been counting down the minutes to this next one, and it is a favorite of mine. Uh, 2001's Valentine. I can't imagine a more fitting uh, title to check out. Uh, And it it gives us an all-star fucking cast. I mean, let's talk about Denise Richards, Marley Shelton, Katherine Heigl, Jessica Capshaw, David... Boreanis. i mean it's phenomenal i love this movie it i don't want to say it's phenomenal but god i love this movie (laughs) and uh we have a guest too you know we're we're having a guest i'm excited uh he is another fellow horror fan he really knows the genre he is an exclusive writer for several prominent online publications uh it's rob Rosado, so he is uh an actor, a talent and a, a writer who really delves into the genre has a great knowledge of the genre. I think and he's gay as all fuck. So he's going to make for a great, a great conversation <laughs> because you know, us gays,
1: <laughs> he is, he's going to bring such a great insight to that film. And if you guys want to get a taste of like how insightful he is and how intelligent he is when it comes to film analysis, I believe his his Instagram is the Robbie horror show. Uh, if you go to that and look and just read some of his reviews, you will realize real quick. He is the real deal. Like, yeah. He is definitely the real. deal. He knows his so shit. We're excited to talk up. Ab- oh yeah. So we're excited to talk about Valentine directed by Jamie blanks mm-hmm. who did urban legend. Mm-hmm. So super excited. So yeah. So that'll be our next week's episode. So guys, we hope you enjoyed this one. We're sorry. It wasn't lovers lane or didn't kick off February with a Valentine day theme, but we hope you enjoyed it. So Until next week, when we will be giving you our hearts, we will bid you adieu.
0: Adieu. Farewell.
1: Good night.